You're listening to the Force Cancer Charity Podcast. If you want to know more about what we do to support anyone locally affected by cancer, please check out our website, forcecancercharity.co.uk. Welcome to the Force Podcast with me, Trina Lake, and today's guest, Posey Passmore. Welcome, Posey. Thank you very much. Now, your association with Force goes back a long way. Tell us how and why you became involved with the charity. It does go back a long way. Um, back in the year 2000, Dick, my husband, was diagnosed with cancer, bowel cancer. He had surgery, he had chemotherapy, radiotherapy, um, and he was very impressed with how he was looked after. Uh, and interestingly enough, at the same time, we were in touch with Force, who at that time, I think probably only consisted of about three people and a few volunteers, and um, worked from a single room in an outlying building of the hospital. We actually happened to know a couple of those people, and socially. So we sort of became involved and understood what they were doing. And Dick generally sort of thought it would be worth trying to help them do some fundraising for them in appreciation of what the oncology department had done for him. So we set about raising funds and he decided to organise a couple of Christmas candlelit concerts, which we did fairly successfully in a local Exeter church. Um, but we wanted to just continue and be more involved with force and we watched it expand and we just loved seeing them expand and realising what their capabilities were. And we just wanted to push the boat out a little bit further. And it wasn't really until two or three years later that he decided he wanted to do a bigger and better concert, which is what we did and perhaps we'll talk about later. But our involvement with Force just continued over the years because sadly his cancer continued over the years. And so we were always visiting the hospital. We were always using Force, which by now had got its own centre here on the grounds of the hospital. Uh, and we were using it as a base and we started using the facilities that they were able to offer, not all of them, but certainly some of them, complementary therapy, etc. And it was just a haven that we would come here and relax in between appointments. And our fundraising really started more intently from there on. But it's just such a friendly place and the joke is that um, Dick was such a um, gregarious character that we'd walk in and everybody would sort of throng around him. Um, and the joke was that if there was a new member of staff, then Dick would turn up to make sure he'd approve. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, I just, I can't say enough for force because it isn't just here. It's supporting the oncology department, buying equipment, and then, of course, as time's gone on, creating these outreach departments, which is just wonderful to think that their services can be moved out to the uh, outlying towns. It, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful charity. 
you mentioned Dick being such a gregarious character. Tell us a little bit more about him because he was larger than life at times. He was larger than life and yet he could be so shy at times. Um, he, he was an Exeter City policeman so he knew a lot of people and a lot of people knew him. He was also extremely interested in local history. He was an Exeter born and bred, so he loved his city, he was very proud of it. And um, in his retired years, he did a lot of writing, sort of little local history booklets um, featuring perhaps old, old properties, gentlemen's residences in Exeter that no longer exist because they've been bulldozed down. Um, and so he was quite well known for that and he would do talks to organisations, clubs, groups and things. So he was not afraid of standing up and talking um, when he was in control. Um, put him in a large crowd of people, um, such a wedding as a wedding reception for instance where he wouldn't know anybody, he'd sort of slink away to a corner. But he was very gregarious, he was very warm, very funny, he had a wicked sense of humour. Um, and. Everybody loved him, and so did I. How did he deal with a, a cancer diagnosis? Because I always found him to be such a positive character. This is the problem. People, well, it wasn't a problem. It, it, was, it was the joy that he just got on and coped. He did not let it stop him at all. And although he had cancer in total for 19 years, it was only the last couple of years that we stopped living a normal life. We still went on holidays abroad. Um, he still took an interest in local history, did his book writing, um, enjoyed the family, the grandchildren. You would not have known there was anything wrong with him. He just battled on and every knock that he had, he just sort of cope with it and move on. He just got on with it with a smile and a laugh. and. Um, said that, you know, as long as he lived till 80, he'd be a happy chap. Sadly, he didn't. Very nearly, but not quite. But, so that'll tell you. I mean, he was, he actually was in hospital for his 60th birthday, having his first operation. So all his retired years, he was battling with ill health, but nobody re would really have known that. Was it good to know that force was here, even if you didn't need necessarily to access everything all the time. It was a comfort. It was a comfort for me and I I still feel that even in his absence. Um, unfortunately Covid obviously restricted um, what they could offer and what I could do but to be able to come here and just relax and have a cup of coffee instead of perhaps going into town having coffee wherever you might you could come here and see familiar faces, um, smiley faces, cheerful faces. The volunteers were just magnificent, as well as the staff, because of course over the years we got to know so many of the staff. So we felt very much part of this building and, and force. So it meant a lot to us just to be able to come here and relax and not necessarily need to see anybody. We were just here using the facility uh, as a, as I say, a haven of relaxation. And I think that's an important message for anybody mm -hmm. in a similar situation. It's, it, it's, 
it's somewhere that you can come and it's a safe space. Yes, absolutely. And I think this is what I still feel now, is that, you know, I can come here and relax, sit quietly with a newspaper or whatever, um, knowing that there's this sort of comfort, an arm of comfort around you all the time of caring people. You've mentioned some of the fundraising that you did and, and you touched on it and we, we can now say Classics Galore was born, <laughs> which, is, which is amazing. So for anyone who hasn't heard of it, of it, and I can't believe there are many that haven't, tell us what is Classics Galore? Oh goodness, Cla Classics Galore is a concert at the Great Hall at the Exeter University, which Dick founded with a bit of help from me. Um, he had a passion for light classical music and only classic FM was ever played in our house or on the car radio unless I'd got in and changed it for some reason um, and following these little candlelit Christmas concerts that he did he decided he wanted to do something bigger and better and casting his mind back to the <coughs> um, the 90s uh, probably even the early 2000s we would go to the Royal Albert Hall in London to see the classical spectacular, which is just what it says. It is a classical spectacular. And he had this in mind and he decided that he wanted to bring this to Exeter in his own way. It was quite a challenge and he was determined to do it. So it took us two years to get off the ground and we booked the Great Hall, which was the only place big enough to hold a, a large audience. We found an orchestra, two choral societies, a brass band, pulled it all together. And it, as I say, it took us two years to get off the ground. It is a concert of light classical music, which although you might think you don't like classical music, if an orchestra struck up and played something, you think, oh, I know that, and it might be the theme tune to a film or an advertisement or a television program so you do know it you don't think of it as being classical music and that's what it was all about and the first one was in the year 2007 phenomenal amount of work we were totally out of our comfort zone because we had to do everything ourselves um, we had to find the do the publicity the marketing um, the uh, the program every word on the program glossy program was written by uh, composed by Dick um, we chose the music uh, we had to go to all the rehearsals the, when we, we pulled together the rehearsals um, and the fun of it all although it was daunting was that I sold every ticket in the Great Hall from my dining room table. Um, and this has been famously repeated because it was like a jigsaw and I would slot everybody in and I would deal with them all by post or people calling at the house, telephone. And it was a real challenge, but very satisfying. And then I'd take this sort of chart to all the rehearsals and sell to all the participants Anyway, it was the most phenomenal success, more than we could have ever hoped. And so we decided to do it in two, two years later. You couldn't have done it every year. A, 
people get fed up with that sort of thing every year. And the work involved was just too great to do it every year. So we did it two years later in 2009. And it was during 2009 that his cancer came back. So another, another surgery, chemo, radiotherapy. And I can't believe that he battled through that at the same time as organizing another concert, but he did. And another astonishing amount was made. Uh, I forgot to say that the first year, the success was six, six and a half thousand. The second time it jumped to 14 and a half thousand. So we did another one in 2011 but the years were ticking by and we didn't quite know what his, how his health was going to be. So we decided that after the third concert in 2011, we'd probably call it a day. Uh, and another success, but it wasn't to be the last concert. No way. Force and the participants loved it. They wanted it to continue. It had become known as the last night of the proms of Exeter and we got a database of patrons and they wanted to keep it going. So very fortunately a group of people mainly from the participating groups and from force themselves formed a little committee but of course we couldn't let go because everything was on our computer in our brain. And uh, so the committee was formed and off we went again. But Dick and I were still not totally responsible this time, but very much involved um, and advising. I mean, where, you know, you've got a team of people going to organise a concert. Where do they start? So we had to be on board, didn't we? The concerts have taken the same format, an orchestra which is formed by our musical director, um, Malcolm Matthews, who is a wonderful musician from East Devon who knows the cream of, of musicians. He forms his own orchestra. And then we have the Ottery Choral Society and they're joined by the Exeter St David's Players who although I say players, they actually have got some very strong voices because they specialise in Gilbert and Sullivan music. Um, and then we have the Southwest Comms Band and they've been with us from day one and people love the band. And then we have a soloist, and it's, they all appear on the stage at the same time. There's no coming and going. And for that reason, we have to extend the stage by three metres to hold them all. So it's quite a colourful spectacular as well. And it is just the most wonderful, magical musical evening, which has continued every two years until, unfortunately, Covid broke the... Um, the, the time and it should have appeared it should have happened last November but it's appearing this November instead on November the 12th at the Great Hall. Good plug. <laughs> Absolutely. As time was getting on and in year 2017 by that time we had actually achieved 90,000 in total. So Dick's ambition was clearly to reach the 100,000. So we were really pushing the boat out for 2019 to exceed 100,000. Very sadly, in the early months of 2019, Dick died. 
so he wasn't able to see that amazing achievement. But we did do it, and in fact, by the end of the 2019 concert, we had raised 110,000 for Force, in recognition of all that Force have done for us and the other people within Devon and surrounding areas, repaying all the, the hard work that they've done, and hopefully giving them encouragement to keep going and further development. It, 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 was a, it was a memorable night. It was yeah. a very special night. It must have been very bittersweet for you. Yes, it was. I held it together, um, but it was quite tricky. It was quite tricky. But um, the interesting thing, that the moment the orchestra struck up, there was a bat, and we think it was a bat as opposed to a bird, flying around the Great Hall. Now, is that weird or not? Dick was certainly there that night. He really was. Whether it took the form of a bat, I don't know, but I do remember seeing it flying and thinking, this is strange. Very <laughs> odd. But it was, a, it was a, rousing, a rousing affair, as always. And as, if, if anybody doesn't know, you finish off with that last night of the promised yes, field. Absolutely, yes. We've, we've got, you know, the, the, real, the real thing, sort of land of hope and glory and, and Royal Britannia. And um, it's absolutely rousing and people are standing up. We have flags on everybody's seats so that they can fly the flag. Um, and yeah, it is just a momentous evening. And it's no wonder that, you know, the, the force and the public want us to keep going. But it is hard work. And so I have to thank the committee for keeping us going. Everything's buzzing, deadlines to meet, pressure's on. Um, and so we're watching the ticket sales and hoping they'll creep up. Are you, are you proud of, of, of this being sort of part of, of Dick's legacy yes, and what it's been able to do yeah, for Force? Everybody knew Dick because of his concerts and I am proud of that. And I'm carrying on for him because if he was here, he would be carrying on. But it was his determination, his motivation, his inspiration, that was just never-ending and just kept going. Um, he, he just didn't give up. So, uh, yeah, I am, I am proud of him, but it's, it's a hard act to follow, believe me. <laughs> so, uh, to keep the old flag flying for him, but I do, I do. And you've done it in a slightly different way as well in, in terms of your support for force. Uh, another big challenge you undertook oh. earlier this year. Tell us about that. Oh my goodness, yes. Oh yeah. Um, well, we talk about Dick Passmore all the time and what he does for force. And I thought, I want to do something for force off my own back. And I just thought, what can I do? I'm no great swimmer and I'm not, certainly not going to be running miles, and I'm not a great walker. So I suddenly had this brainwave that maybe I'd do a skydive. Well, it wasn't so many months after that that um, Force announced that they wanted some volunteers to do a skydive to celebrate their 35th anniversary. Well, Muggins here was probably the first to sign up for it. Um, people thought I was mad. People thought, no, she won't do it. But I was determined. And it was even more appropriate 
because another of Dick's passions was flying. He hated the water, wouldn't do water, but he loved flying. And so when a friend had a helicopter and took him off for the odd jaunt, he was happy. So I thought, okay, I'll take to the skies in his memory. And interestingly enough, within a few days of the skydive, it would have been our 40th wedding anniversary. So I thought it very appropriate to take to the skies in his memory to celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary. And I did it for force. And that I am proud of because I raised very nearly £3,000, which is more than I ever thought I would do. So uh, yes, that was, a, that was an achievement. What, what was it like? Tell us about the day and the experience. I loved it. I wasn't nervous. I totally chilled. Um, I think the only thing I was concerned about initially was the landing because I thought I didn't want to break bones having achieved such great things. I didn't want to break bones on my landing. But when they tell you what you have to do and give you sort of guidance at the beginning, they tell you what, how, how to land and it was absolutely easy, it wasn't a problem. It was wonderful, um, great fun, quite daunting. The first, you free fall for a minute before the parachute opens up. It's quite a long time to be free falling, uh, but it was a magnificent experience and I would do it again. Um, there's probably little point now because I've done it and I've done it for force, but it was lovely. I loved it. And we were so lucky with the weather because it was the most perfect day. Blue sky, couldn't have been better. So, and I had a lot of support, friends from force, um, my own friends. I had my fan club there and, and obviously there were two or three people, friends, literally from, from this centre force doing it with me. So we, we egged each other on, which was good, because neither, none of us wanted to let each other down. And that's what spurred me on. There was no question of me backing out, because I knew my mates from force were going to be doing it as well. What would Dick have thought about it? He would have been very proud of me. I don't think he'd have loved, flying as he loved, I don't think he would have done that. In fact, I'm jolly sure he wouldn't have done that. So, he, no, he would have been very proud. So, uh, yeah, he was probably up there with me. So, yeah, yeah. Now, I know Force are organising another one in March, I believe it is. What would you say to anyone who's thinking about possibly signing up for it? Do it. Um, there's no training or preparation, you just go up there, but they, you have a sort of a, a talking through session where they, you know, tell you what to do and what's going to happen and what you can expect. You just go with it. It's, it's a wonderful experience. Um, hopefully the weather will be nice for it. It was such a, an experience, a challenge, but one that I coped with and surprised myself, to be honest. Um, and, and amazingly, people are still amazed that I did it. They just don't know how I did it. And I said, well, you know, there's lots of things that I can't do that you can do. I mean, I can't jump in the water and get my head underwater. But that's nothing to loads of people. But then they laugh at me and say, no, but you can jump out the sky. Yeah, why not? <laughs> well, let's hope Classics Galore gives you a similar 
adrenaline rush. It's a, it's a, it's a per night, maybe a bit more sedate, you know, <laughs> you're not free falling for a, for a whole minute. But um, just remind us again before we go of the date and how you can get tickets. Right, the date is Saturday the 12th of November at the Great Hall, Exeter University, and the concert starts at 7.30. Tickets are available online. If you just go into the Classics Galore website, it will lead you straight to the ticket section. There are shuttle buses organised that will pick you up from the car parks. So there's no walking in the dark necessary because there are shuttle buses. There is also the terrace bar is open for having a meal beforehand if you want it. No reservations needed and that opens at half past five in the evening. So you can go up there in good time, have a meal at your leisure before the concert starts at half past seven. So hopefully anybody listening to this will be persuaded to buy a ticket. Well, let's hope so. And let's look forward to another fantastic night. Thank you very much for joining us, Paisley. You're very welcome, Trina. Thanks for listening to the Force Cancer Charity Podcast. If you need support from Force, call us on 01392 406 151 or send an email to support at forcecancercharity.co.uk. You'll find more details on our website, forcecancercharity.co.uk.